there's a risk that what you're planning to do might infringe intellectual property rights of, of someone else. And that's the key difference. That's really the problem at the core of, of accidents in both tort law and IP. But for our purposes, it's really at the core of IP accidents. You are listening to Intangiblia, the podcast of intangible law, plain talk about intellectual property. Please welcome your host, Leticia Caminero. Welcome to episode six of the third season. On this episode, we're going to talk about an interesting idea. What if your responsibility on intellectual property infringement will depend whether you want it or intended to infringe? What if there's a way to cover yourself against IP accidents? Let's see what our guest has to say about it. Yeah, my name is Patrick Gould. I'm a senior lecturer at the City Law School in, in London, where I teach and research primarily in intellectual property law. I say primarily, um, I guess I'm interested in the philosophy of law. And I'm interested particularly in the philosophy of intellectual property and the philosophy of technology. Um, and as I guess, uh, as someone interested in, in legal philosophy, I am a uh, pure academic. So uh, I, I am an academic at heart. Um, and I studied and grew up in the UK. It's where I'm from originally. Um, but then I, I left the UK And I guess my, my early career was in a few different countries, um, Germany and the USA, mostly the USA. And so after complete, completing my PhD, I spent a number of years uh, teaching and researching IP law uh, at various US law schools, uh, Berkeley, Chicago, Kent, Harvard Law School, before coming back to the UK uh, to, start, to start work at, at City. Um, and I joined in 2018, and and uh, that's where I am now. Um, yeah, so that, that that's my my background, and, and so you asked uh, what led me to to write the book. Well, I guess it it goes back to when I was a PhD student in, in Germany, and it was about it was 2010, and I read a a very interesting article written by a, a friend and colleague, Sham Krishna Balganesh, called Foreseeability and Copyright Incentives. Uh, and that was just published in the Harvard Law Review at that time. And it was a really interesting article. It, it basically said, um, the copyright holder, or we, we, give the, we give the individual copyright in order to encourage them to create. And what Sham argued is that, well, then you should only give copyright protection against uses that the uh, copyright owner could have foreseen, right? So or if you create a book and then somehow there's some sort of new type of use of that book, then and, uh, and you could not have foreseen that when you created it, when you created the book. And that could not have reasonably given you uh, any sort of encouragement to create. You didn't think of someone using your book in this way. So how were you? How would you profit from that? Anyways, so I read this back in 2010, and I was like, "This is interesting because this is basically an idea which comes from tort law. This idea of reasonable foreseeability." And I was thinking, "Well, I wonder what other concepts and ideas come from from tort law, which could potentially improve intellectual property." Uh, you know, we have 
we, we talk about intellectual property, we ask our questions, our philosophical questions about is intellectual property really property? Um, and I was interested in going a bit beyond that. I was, I was thinking, well, here's this interesting article talking about tort law and how that affects intellectual property. I wonder whether there's something else in that. And that really started this process of thinking about intellectual property through uh, a, a tort law lens, thinking about it through a kind of a non-property paradigm. Um, and that really was, was the start of it. And of course, as I think we'll get onto, that led to this idea of IP accidents. It came from combining the idea or the, the rules from another realm of IP outside IP, so another type of, of law, which is tort law, something very common law. Uh, can you explain a bit better, uh, a bit further, what is um, tort law, like in a, in a sentence? <laughs> well, I think uh, the best way I can explain it is probably if we get onto IP accidents, because I'll be able to explain uh, the, the tort law influence through okay. the- That Perfect. So what is an IP accident? <laughs> How right. do we get in that bus? So, so IP accidents, that's the title of the book, IP accidents. All right. So what we're talking about here is accidental infringement of intellectual property. Um, so I'll, I'll just give you a couple of examples of what I'm writing about or what concerns me. So Ed Sheeran has been in the news recently. For, for, uh, he won at a very important uh, copyright case in the UK recently. He's defending more in, 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 um, in New York. So imagine you're a musician. You know, you go into the studio, you write a song, you know, you record it. And, you know, you think, oh, yeah, that's, that's a really good song. And then you publish it. And then someone turns up and says, ah, actually, that sounds a bit too similar to, to my song. Um, you know, you must have heard it 20 years ago and it's been percolating in the back of your mind for, for 20 years and you've infringed my copyright in, in the song, right? That's not an intentional infringement. You know, the, you, the musician would turn around and say, well, look, I didn't intend to do this. I didn't, you know, I, it was an accident. Or let me give you another example. You know, you're a publisher, you're Cambridge University Press or Palgrave or, you know, um, Random House, and you have an author and the author says, here's my manuscript. And you ask your author, uh, do you have any third party material in it? Is there anything, you know, any sort of copyright infringing material here? Uh, and they say, no, no, I can assure you that there's nothing problematic here. You publish the book. And then someone turns up and again says, actually, no, there is some copyright infringing material in this, in this book. And we are suing you, the publisher, for, for infringing and publishing this book. Again, it's an accident. It's not something the publisher intends to do. And we could talk about this in patent law as well, right? You know, so you, you come up with a great new idea, a new sort of technology, a new type of Wi-Fi, for example, and you start producing your, your, your product. And, and later, it turns out that that actually is protected by a patent. And again, again, you come back to say, look, this is an accidental infringement. It's not something I meant to do. It's not an intentional, deliberate, knowledgeable in infringement. It is unintentional. That's what an IP accident is, or that's what accidental infringement is. Now, you mentioned about tort law. The reason, the reason tort law comes into it is... Um, In layman's terms, or very simple terms, and, and a bit oversimplistically, but that's what tort law is about. Tort law is the law of accidents. Not entirely, but that's a very, very big part of what tort law is, right? You know, so 
Uh, tort law is if I run you over in, in my car and break your leg, do I owe you any sort of redress? You know, should I pay you damages? As, or if um, you come to my house uh, for dinner and you, I have a faulty banister and you, you fall down the stairs because of it. And again, I didn't intend to cause you this harm. I have done it. I have caused you this harm uh, unintentionally, but it's an accident. So that's the connection. What my book is about is, is the accidents in the IP world. And really, the question is, what should we do about them? And to that, to answer that, I take inspiration from a lot of the, the philosophy and economics of tort law, where they've looked at this sort of question in a different context. What is the difference between the accidental infringement and the actual one? Well, I wouldn't say accidental and actual. I would say just accidental and intentional, right? Okay. So, I mean, intentional infringement is fairly straightforward. Um, I, I, I would say the real difference between the two is, is the concept of risk, right? So imagine, you know, imagine, Letitia, you're, a, you're an author and you write a book and I, you know, I look at your book and I open up the cover and it says copyright by Letitia and uh, I then just copy it and, you know, use some of your material without asking you. Well, it's pretty clear that I'm going to infringe your intellectual property here, presuming, you know, I'm, I'm taking a substantial part of your work. There's, that's a certainty. You know, I know you have intellectual property rights here. <laughs> the difference between an, ac an accidental infringement is there's risk involved. So think again about uh, the publisher. Let's take the publisher example where you, you're, you're Cambridge University Press or you're, you're um, Oxford University Press Random House and you have an author who comes to you with some material. You, the publisher, you know, you're looking at this material and you think, there's a risk here. There's a risk that some of this material might infringe intellectual property. It's not certain, right? You know, if it was certain, if you knew that, look, there's some infringing material here, then you would act differently. You know, you would, you'd find that person who owns the material, you'd ask for a license, but it's harder when you don't know these things for sure. There's a risk that what you're planning to do might infringe intellectual property rights of, of someone else. And that's the key difference. That's really the problem at the core of, of accidents in both tort law and IP. But for our purposes, it's really the, at the core of IP accidents. And with these situations come along where you're trying to do something good for the world. You're trying to produce a new song, a new book, but it's risky. It risks infringing the intellectual property rights of people who came before you. And what the book is about is how the law should respond to these situations. What should happen in cases of accidental infringement, if anything? Yes, and some of this example, one of the actors is always at risk of infringing. So a publisher in every book is in risk. Is in risk. So a producer as well in every song. So in in this um, idea, will we find something different for those who are overexposed? Let's say because it's not the same as you are an individual that can perhaps create at some point in your life or invent at some point in your life. But it's it's another view if you are in the business of. Um, either uh, producing or are an intimidating or facilitating or publishing uh, these kind of creations. Yeah, definitely. Some people, uh, some organizations, let's take libraries, for example, 
um, do face it, uh, instances of creative risk all of the time. That's that's part and parcel of of being a publisher, of being a librarian, of of working in research and development. Is that your job necessarily involves the risk of infringing someone else's intellectual property rights? So, is there a way to shield oneself from this uh, accidental infringement? Well, yes. I mean, to 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 a certain extent, there's there's uh, ways to shield yourself. I guess what you can do, both as a both as um, a user of intellectual property of, of creative material, and as a producer, there are things you can do to prevent and reduce the risk. Uh, of intellectual property accidents happening, you know. So, if you're a user of intellectual property material, you know you can do your due diligence. If you're a, let's use the publisher example again. You're a publisher, and you have material that you think mm, this might infringe someone's in intellectual property rights. There are certain things you can do. You can search. You can look at the registers, right? Various copyright registers, patent registers. You can inspect the material, the the, the good. Um, in many jurisdictions, you will find if it's a patented product, it'll have a patent number on it. There's virtual patenting. Uh, sorry, virtual uh, patent identification now, where it, you know it might give you a URL link to where to where you'll find the the patent information. Or you can just do uh, your normal sort of, of Google search looking for material, right? There's ways you can do, there's ways and means that you can employ to, to, to reduce your risk, to kind of reduce that unclarity. And equally, if you're the producer of, of uh, uh, copyrighted material or patented material, there's steps you can do to prevent people accidentally infringing your intellectual property. Right. You can register your materials. You can register, you can publicize, you can put uh, notice on your materials. You can, you know, if, Letitia, if you're talking about a book you have written, you, you know, you would be even if you live in a jurisdiction where you're not required to to do this, it would be a good idea to say in the front cover, this is copyrighted by Letitia. And, you know. Uh, uh, this is where you can contact me. These are the details. Um, you know that even if you're not required to do that by law, that that's a, a very good thing you can do to prevent these accidents from happening. So, right there, there are these things you can do to prevent the risk of IP accidents happening, both as a consumer and a producer. You are listening to Intangiblia, the podcast of intangible law, plain talk about intellectual property. So it's about being mindful of um, in in whichever um, scenario you are. So if you are the user and uh, trying to uh, search and make use of the various tools of um, provided in the internet, also in IP offices where you can learn in something is already protected or if someone else has claimed rights over this um, work or product or, or invention. And from the, from the other side, it's about making sure that you are yourself registering, uh, protecting and, and making the right uh, uh, legal processes to make sure that no one else infringes uh, your, your intellectual property. And if they do, there are consequences because you have already obtain or secure the rights of that uh, product. Right. Yeah, it is. It is about being mindful, as you mentioned. Um, although I guess my 
concern is more how do we make people be mindful, right? That that's my uh, my real interest. Um, how do we incentivize people to be mindful? People are not always mindful, right? People are frequently careless. They will use material without doing their due diligence, for example. And equally hoping for the best and hoping for the best. Right. You know, well, that's that's okay. Sometimes that makes sense. You you look at the risk and you look at the gravity of the harm and you decide for yourself whether that makes sense to be careful or not. You know, you see that when we're thinking about tort law and accidents, you know, sometimes you make an illegal U-turn in your car because you you look and you think, well, there's nothing coming. Right. So we all make those kind of uh, calculations. But I guess what I'm interested in is, is how do you get people uh, to, to be mindful? How do you make sure that people do behave carefully? They try to avoid accidental infringements. Um, but equally, how do you get intellectual property owners to play their part as well? Um, okay, just to give you an example, there was a good example some years ago where the University of Michigan wanted to digitize a lot of material of out of print books, books which were you know printed many years ago, and they were orphan works, meaning they couldn't find the authors or the copyright holder for these books. And the 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 uh, University of Michigan put out a call. It searched, you know, it tried to find the copyright holders, couldn't find them. Put out a call, said, "Look, if you're a copyright holder, please come forward. Just tell us, and we." If, if so, we, we won't digitize these books. We won't put them up online. But if no one objects, we will do this. You know, and then they were planning on doing this. But after a certain amount of time, the uh, Authors Guild in the U.S. objected and said, well, actually, you know, we have copyright in these books. Uh, we didn't uh, object at the start, but now we've learned about this. You know, we're shutting it down. You know, equally, just as much as you want users to be careful and to to try to avoid accidental infringement, you want intellectual property owners to to be diligent as well. And in that case, a, a diligent intellectual property owner would have responded to the university's plans a little bit earlier. You know, to say, look, you know, no, you've called you've called for information. Um, so he, here we're going to give it to you. So th- there's mindfulness, or what I would rather say, carefulness that both intellectual property owners and intellectual property users, um, uh, and that we would like them all to be reasonably careful. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And I've seen that uh, many times um, the holder of, of copyright of I, or IP waits until um, their project is out to start pursuing So um, someone knows that the screenplay or the, there's there's something in the in the film that is infringing copyright or someone else's, and the copyright holder waits until the movie premieres, and then they pursue uh, the, the the legal action because they want to make sure that the the product is already out or, or the the work is already out, so they can use it as a best way to secure. <laughs> Uh, more profit or to secure a better understanding, easier, faster, or something like that. But uh, in the in the case that you mentioned, I don't see it necessarily like that. Uh, but in other cases, I, I I do see why they they seem that they're not diligent, but they're actually they're waiting it out 
uh, to make it to make it bigger. It's the same was or, or the way to see if the product in the market it's uh, is successful. And then when they say, "Boom, this product is successful," then there's money here, so I can I can follow, <laughs> I can pursue now uh, this legal claim. Right, and that strikes me as not a reasonably careful thing for an intellectual property owner to do. So, I mean, all of these are are case specific, and you look at the facts. But just as a general matter. Those are situations where I think a diligent, reasonably careful intellectual property owner, or particularly when you're talking about uh, they're in an interaction with a user who is unaware of the intellectual property, uh, I would suggest they would do the reasonable thing to do in that case would be to inform them earlier rather than waiting for the, uh, the user to make the use of the material and kind of commit themselves to that plan of action. Really what you want is the intellectual property owner to tell them at an earlier stage um, to, to try to put, put uh, some sort of uh, licensing scheme in place before, before the intellectual property owner um, uh, has a position of power, in a bargaining power. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. What do you propose? For these kind of um, IP accidents, how can how can we regulate them? Well, that really is the heart of the book, right? So the book introduces this uh, the, the concept of IP accidents, right? It, um, and then asks, what should we do about them? What, uh, particularly as a, as lawyers, what what, sh- what should we do? How ought we to regulate them? So th- these cases are not new, right? Lawyers will know these usually under the terms of inadvertent infringement or unintentional infringement. These would be the the terms that we usually use to describe these kind of accidents. I prefer to call them accidents because it highlights the similarity between these kind of accidents and the other kind of accidents we were talking about, right? You know, so that if I run you over and break your leg in, in my car, the heart of the book is kind of this, this problem, which is, you know, so if we're driving and I, and I crash into you and I break your leg and I cause you some, you know, some serious physical damage and, and monetary problems, I will not automatically be accountable for that. I will not necessarily have to pay you anything. I will not necessarily be held responsible in law. We have a system of negligence in these cases. Whether I'm liable, whether I'm responsible, depends on whether I was negligent or not. Right Now, if I was texting at the time or driving above the speed limit, yeah, then I'll, then I'll have to pay. I'll be found liable because the society will have said, Patrick, you were pretty careless there. You're pretty negligent. You should have done better. But if I can show, well, look, this was just an, you know, I was behaving carefully. I was driving at the speed limit. I was aware. I I wasn't intoxicated. I I behaved reasonably. That's the end of the matter. It's just one of life's misfortunes, unfortunately. And that is what I argue intellectual property law should move to. So currently we have a regime of strict liability. So if I accidentally infringe your intellectual property rights, you know, I'm the publisher again, I put some material in my book. It doesn't matter if I work really hard to avoid the infringement, right? It doesn't matter if I, if I come to court and say, look, I was really careful. I tried to avoid, you know, I looked at the register, I made calls, I tried to find out if anyone owned it. 
doesn't matter. You know, you've used the material, you've infringed the rights, you, you're, you pay damages, you, your business will be uh, subject to an injunction. And I argue that intellectual property needs to move to a negligence regime, move away from this idea of strict liability, move away from this idea that every time you infringe someone's intellectual property rights, you should therefore be responsible and liable for damages and injunction. What I would prefer is for the courts to do what they do in other areas of tort law and to do in other areas of accidents, which is you look at how careful the, the defendant was. If they were negligent, if the intellectual property user was careless, then they should be liable, right? You know, so if you're a business out there and you're, you know, you, you put in, you, you, you create a new invention, you, you put in uh, this invention into a product and you start selling it and you know, it, you didn't look at the patent registers. You didn't inspect products or any sort of patent information. You didn't do your due diligence. Yeah, that's negligent. And if you do infringe someone's intellectual property, then then you should be liable for being negligent. But if you can show, although, no, I looked, I did all I could. I, tr- I didn't know in advance that this was protected by a patent or this was protected by copyright. I really tried to avoid, you know, the, the infringement. I did all I could. I looked in the places. I did my search. I behaved just as you'd expect a reasonable member of society to, to behave in these cases. At that point, if you've behaved reasonably, that should be the end of the matter. You should not be liable for damages or an injunction. It's just one of those unfortunate experiences in life that, you know, you have two innocent people here. You have the innocent uh, IP owner and you have an innocent IP user. And you need to make a decision about, about which of these two innocent parties should shoulder the burden. And I say that if the defendant has behaved reasonably, they ought not to shoulder the burden of the infringement. If they can prove that they have behaved properly, that they have done the due diligence, that they pursue every possible or reasonable scenario for themselves in, in according to whatever kind of business they're in. So it's it shouldn't go on them or they shouldn't um, carry the burden of infringement because they they try to avoid it, actively try to avoid it. Uh, uh, but then it will be in detriment of the holder, of the IP holder. Yes. So it would be, you know, when you're saying a strict liability regime moving to a negligence regime, you are say t- talking about a less protective, uh, uh, a less strong form of protection for the intellectual property owner. That's true. There are a couple of points to, to mention in this. And keeping it simple, first of all, all intellectual property owners are intellectual property users at the same time, right? So if you're a creative individual in the arts, you are both producing and consuming intellectual property. So to the extent that you are, um, you, you get less protection for your intellectual property rights in, under a negligence regime, you're also more insulated from infringing other people's rights. You know, so it's not really the case that, that, that you lose, lose protection. You lose protection, but you also gain something as well, right? And the other thing to mention is that this proposal or what I'm proposing is really a compromise between two, two extremes, which are already on the table. So if we look at the literature, as I said, these cases are known as, are already known to intellectual property uh, uh, lawyers and scholars. 
we usually call them inadvertent or, or unintentional infringement, right? Now, scholars, lawyers have usually taken two lines to these, these kind of cases. But, you know, the question is, what should we do here? One line is, say, strict liability, right? That's one approach that some theorists take. They say, well, the accident, once an accident happens, the defendant should just be liable, responsible every time. Liability is strict, right? It's just very strict liability. That's one approach. Here's the other approach is no liability at all, right? If you accidentally infringe someone's intellectual property, there should be no liability that attaches. Um, and you have some theorists who will, uh, who advocate for that line. Particularly, this is uh, what's known in the patent world as the independent invention defense, right? So in patent law, some will argue that if you have independently invented a technology, and it just so happens that someone else already invented that has a patent on it, you should have an independent invention defense, meaning that you just, you're not liable. So those are two polar extremes, right? Strict liability, the defendant is liable, or no liability, you just, you know, there's no liability because it was an unintentional uh, infringement of a prior right. A negligence regime is between those two polar extremes. You know, it's saying, yes, you know, the, the defendant is not always going to be liable. It's not strict liability. So in that sense, it is less protective than our current regime. It's also more protective than the alternative, which is no liability. So if we take that independent invention defense idea, I would disagree with that line. I, I would not say if you have independently invented a technology, you should you necessarily get a free pass. You necessarily avoid all the patent consequences. To me, you can still independently invent something and be negligent at the same time, right? What I'd be interested is saying uh, is saying well. When you, were in, when you independently invented this technology, did you do your due diligence? Did you look at the register? Before you commercialized this product, did you try to find any intellectual property holders uh, that might have had intellectual property rights? So you see, to the extent that it's, uh, it's less protective, it is not only beneficial to intellectual property owners as well, but it's also more protective than one of the very serious options on the table. So it's much more of a compromise than, uh, than uh, it might first seem. It seems that provide greater balance, which is something that we're always looking for, especially in, in IP law, to make sure that we have a balance that are rights in both ends. So in the users and also in the creators to make sure that in, in neither one is it's, uh, it's better or it's in, in, in too, much of a, <laughs> uh, too much of an advantage of the other because uh, you need balance in order to have creations, to have inventions and, and so on. Because without people um, making use of those uh, works, you don't have any other one created because that's how you, has, that's what you make of something. You learn, you, you, you surround yourself with whichever form science art you're, you're dealing with. And then with that, you start doing your own with what you already have consumed from someone else. Right. And that, that's the whole idea. You know, it, 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 if you're in this space, you're always going to encounter that risk. 
that that's that's fundamentally the problem that you know it's just like driving on the motorways there's no way to do it without exposing yourself to a certain amount of risk and if you drive a car the risk is you might get you might crash into someone or someone might crash into you in the creative space or the technological space it's your you risk infringing someone else's property rights it's uh, intellectual property rights and right it, that there's always this this risk here and as you mentioned what we're trying to find is a is a position of balance where that risk is spread between intellectual property owners and intellectual property users. And that balance is not really a, a facilitated by saying, users, every time you, you infringe an IP right, you will be liable. Equally, that balance is not uh, encouraged by saying, users, you'll never be liable for accidentally infringing an IP right. The balance, the right balance is saying, well, look, we want you to behave carefully. And we'll, whether you're liable or not depends on whether you behaved carefully. And that's all we, that's what we want to see from, from individuals and businesses and organizations, that they, they conduct themselves with the care that you would expect of a reasonable creative individual. That's by by saying that by building that standard into the law, that's how you encourage people to be careful. You know, by saying, look, if you're careful, you won't be liable. If you if you behave carefully and you you we can you can prove to us beyond uh, kind of the balance of probabilities that you behaved reasonably carefully, then you won't be liable. And of course, that encourages all actors to behave carefully, to, to actually search the registers, or if you're an IP owner, to put your stuff on the register or to put notice on your work, right? And ultimately, what the result of that is the number of accidents go down, the amount of licensing goes up. So it's about encouraging that sort of good, helpful care in the world. Great. It sounds like a, a great premise and a great promise as well. Um, thank you so much, Patrick, for your time. Thank you for your research. Thank you for writing this book, IP Accidents, Negligence, Liability in Intellectual Property. Um, we are hoping to keep reading you, uh, keep learning from your research as well. And let's see where this, uh, this great uh, idea takes us. It's, it's something that is worth uh, pursuing and that hopefully we may see it in a law someday. <laughs> I hope so. We have reached the end of our episode. See you next Tuesday with a new guest and a new IP topic. Greetings from Switzerland. Thank you for listening to Intangiblia, the podcast of intangible law, plain talk about intellectual property. Did you like what we talked today? Please share with your network. Do you want to learn more about intellectual property? Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website www.intangiblia.com. Copyright Leticia Caminero 2020. All rights reserved. This podcast is provided for information purposes only.